0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship, innovation, and product design. I'm very happy to welcome to the show my next guest, Keenan Weireback, who's the co-founder and CTO of Zipline. Keenan, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. First things first, I want to point our listeners to your to your URL and website, which is FlyZipline. Just fly zip and line put together Flyzipline.com. it's a very interesting visually interesting website so everyone check it out if you're someplace safe and at a web browser keenan you're the the co-founder and cto of zipline give us the elevator pitch for zipline
1: sure Uh, we deliver essential medical products uh, using drones small robotic aircraft in the hardest to reach parts of the world
0: all right, so uh, give us another layer of specificity on what those parts of the world are and what you deliver and how you do it.
1: Sure. Our, our first customer is the government of Rwanda, uh, and we are responsible for all of the outgoing blood supply chain, so this is delivering units of blood to hospitals for the entire uh, western half of the country, um, and uh, so all day, every day, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, we uh, Orders come into our distribution center uh, where we will, will basically prep the order, packing a little package with a little paper parachute attached to it that goes into our small robotic aircraft. looks like a small plane. Uh, and we launch it, and it flies automatically at, out to the hospital to place the order where it drops the package, comes back for another order. Any given time, we've got a handful of uh, these aircraft, we call them ZIPs, uh, making deliveries uh, all over the western half of the country.
0: All right, so Rwanda is a small country by African country standards, but uh, it's still a pretty big area. So, about how many, about how much area do, does this cover? The western half of the country.
1: Sure. So the we can we, we can serve from one distribution center, seventy five kilometer radius. So okay. any hospital in, in that radius, sort of regardless of weather and wind and mountains and stuff, we can we can we can serve it, which is. Luckily for us, uh, Rwanda is about 150 kilometers north to south, uh, so it works out just right um, to cover the whole country with two distribution centers, which will uh, be opening our second distribution center there uh, later this year.
0: Okay, and just to clarify, because this is just really fascinating, you are sending a uh, something like uh, you know a half liter or a liter of blood at a time, right? So this is a single delivery of a unit of blood, Is that right?
1: It's it's usually a handful of units, two to three. Oh, units it is of handful of units. Okay. Delivery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's and it's uh, and it'll be a combination of, of of blood products. So there's red blood cells and different types mm. and so on, and plasma and platelets, uh, whatever they need for the transfusion uh, in front of them. So a
0: typical, uh, actually, maybe you can say in the western half of Rwanda, how many? You, maybe you did say how many hospitals are there that you need to deliver? How many clinics? You need to twenty one
1: hospitals that that use twenty one in the western okay. half yep
0: yeah all right so um and 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 so several units it's it's gonna be a box uh sort of a shoebox size box, is that right
1: yeah, it's about that size uh huh
0: okay and and how big is the zip how big is the drone
1: so it's about two and a half meter wingspan um mm-hmm. so eight feet or so uh, mm-hmm. and uh yeah it, it it looks like a small plane uh, yeah. It does. Unlike not 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 like a you know uh, a little quadcopter you're
0: right, right. taking
1: videos with. It's a much bigger aircraft, uh, and uh, and it's a plane rather than a
0: quadcopter. Yeah, and is it is it electric powered or is it got a little icy engine in it?
1: It's all electric. You know, okay. That that that's huge for us because you know, we're doing this all day, every day, all weather, mm-hmm. and reliability is is a huge part of what we do, uh, and yeah. electric is a, it makes that much easier.
0: And and what is the typical? So let's say you have to do a a delivery that's the full seventy five kilometers. What's the round trip flight time?
1: Round trip, uh, I, round trip will be about an hour and a half. So forty five minutes to make the deliveries to the furthest. Uh, typically.
0: Wow! So they've they've got an hour and a half of range in an electric uh, uh, aircraft. Oh, that's, they, that's
1: and they have more because. <laughs> Even on those worst days of crazy winds we want we, they need to come back safely,
0: so. wow, wow, that's yeah. really amazing, yeah, it's really yeah. amazing, wow, it's so cool, amazing so so maybe you could say a little bit about what they were doing before, I suppose one option is they didn't have blood or they could only use what they could collect locally, or are we talking about a a jeep on a mountain road
1: more of the latter the yeah. it's, this is the Blood is The reason we're starting with blood uh, and moving later into vaccines and pharmaceuticals is blood has a very short shelf life. And in Rwanda, like everywhere else in the world, it's always in limited supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so, you know, there's a bunch of blood types and they get rarer as you go down the list. And so not typically like we do in the States here, you have to forecast, you have to make these estimates to say, okay, from, you send all the blood to a testing lab where it gets tested and typed, then you got to get it back out to the points of use where it's going to get transfused into patients. And, you, and there's a lot of, well, basically guesstimating in that forecasting uh, and wasted blood. And, uh, in, and in Rwanda, you know, they were making deliveries as often as once a week with that blood. Um, and the challenge you have is when, you know, uh, when these dirt roads are washed out or, you know, there's very few bridges, so when the water rises, you know, oftentimes the deliveries just don't get through. And so that was that was most of the solution. You know, there's one guy we met early on in this project, uh, in Rwanda, and he you know he told us about his experience where his wife was giving birth uh, and started to suffer postpartum hemorrhaging, which is basically bleeding, due, as a result of childbirth. It's a very common thing. It's one of those conditions where without blood, it's very lethal and with blood it's very treatable and the the hospital handed him a cooler and and said look we don't have your wife's blood type we're out um you know the guy can't get the delivery here fast enough you know we think of this your blood her blood type is available at a nearby hospital hurry back um wow and you know uh, anyway you can only imagine how yeah harrowing that must have been uh but You know, they were doing what they could, uh, which is challenging with dirt roads in a nine-month rainy season to get stuff reliably where it needs to be.
0: Wow. Okay, so this is super cool, Keenan. I was going through my notes and did a little search on my computer, and I don't know if you know this, but I interviewed your co-founder, Keller, four years ago. And you guys were making an iPad— I iphone based robot toy Yep. am i so did you know that yes yes okay Uh, you did know that because i didn't i didn't realize it till i till i saw there was a note about the your original that original product Romoto or whatever it was called and um so you got to tell me that's the biggest pivot i've ever heard of so give us the origin story (laughs) about this incredible journey from robot toy to delivering blood by drone in rwanda
1: There's a couple of ways to look at Romo, that first product, and you know I think of it as uh, it was a cre- it was a it was a great credibility uh, exercise for the company, right? We got that into production, thousands of units a day, and basically you know, had the decision to make we, either to become a consumer electronics company, which is challenging um, to really make that business what it needed to be, or to go after something more aggressive. That, which is honestly what we wanted to do in the first place. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to do something aggressive when you don't have the track record to, to really show you can do it. Uh, that's when we really you know, took the best advice I've ever gotten, which was get out in the world and, and uh, traveled a bunch in Central America and Africa, uh, learning about this problem, learning uh, really, well, if we thought we could actually solve it, uh, finding first customers uh well in this case government customers uh and then once it was clear that not only did they have the medications but that they the scale of the problem was huge and these you know we were literally having meetings with presidents within a few months of this exploratory work you know the the market pull was there and, and we never looked back
0: yeah we're talking about presidents of countries by the way.
1: Yes. It's <laughs> pretty yes. pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. But okay, so I, I got to circle back on that, Keenan, because I maybe maybe my mind wandered when you said it or maybe it wasn't clear, but but when you embarked on Romo, on the original on the on the toy, were you thinking that you might someday be flying drones or or was that really an opportunity that was born out of, of out of some self doubt after that first product,
1: a little bit of both. I mean, we'll, we'll put, yeah. So we definitely weren't thinking about that. And, and full disclosure, you know, I was I was an advisor to the company in the Romo days, um, and you know, it was really. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was. there was some self-doubt, and, and there was also some just pragmatism, right? We were studying yeah. at the time, you know, the parrots of the world, these companies that were trying to become consumer yeah. electronics companies from startups. And, you know, in hindsight, I think we made the right decision. I, I don't think there's a single company, maybe with the exception of Beats, in, in that whole 10-year time span that actually jumped, made that leap from mm. startup to successful consumer electronics brand. Um,
0: well, and, DJI uh, did. There were, there, there were some drone companies, right, that did,
1: right? Oh, okay, fair, fair, fair. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we knew we didn't have what DJI had, you know, and, yeah. and I should say, say U.S.-based uh, okay. uh, startup. Okay, all right, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and it was also a passion question, right? It was like, look, what are we really passionate about doing? Um, and, you know, this was something that a lot of interest in uh, internally, uh, and then once we really found that there was a strong first market um, you know that's we 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 followed the we followed the pull and and, and passion where those two things met and yeah yeah but I still want
0: to I this is sure. so interesting, Keenan. I I want to circle back on that moment because sure. did you identify a bunch of opportunities or where did this specific one of delivering medical supplies by by drone come from? We
1: did identify a number of opportunities. Okay. I looked into a number of them. Um. And uh, and spent a bunch of time exploring a number of them. We actually even had uh, NRE check on the table from uh, a company, and 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 is a short version is sort of a e- easy to program robot arm for uh, uh, inline automation from a big CM. And you know we had a number of other things we were looking at, and really it was you know, we wanted something that both had a massive market potential, which you know, logistics doesn't get that much bigger than logistics. Mm -hmm. Um, and we wanted something that was just a massive problem that was, you know, just mattered a lot. And I, you know, unfortunately it's easy to convince yourself that a project or or a problem you're going to solve matters, but a lot of them just really don't. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, as the classic Silicon Valley joke is that, you know, you can pretty much make anything you're doing, improve people's lives. If you convince yourself that it really matters. Um, but at the end of the day, does it really? And we wanted to. We wanted to really look for that. So we gave ourselves some space to look. Uh, and then you know, uh, well, go, and, and people. When we, when we ha- heard about this potential project, uh, we just explored it and got to know people in this in this uh, who faced these challenges practically on the supply chain side, uh, and the health uh, clinics and health and hospital operations side. And then you know, built relationships from there. Uh, and then I mean, the fun part. About it, I know this isn't this is moving away from the origin story, but like it, that was that was the awesome part about this. We had those customers from the beginning, and they really yeah. helped us actually figure out what to do. Right, their data, their yeah. feedback, yeah. where they were part of that process for the last three years. Yeah, you know, and I can I can tell you with certainty, without them, you know, we we were way off three years ago, and it was it was their pushing us in the right direction, sort of month yeah. by month. As yeah, we
0: amazing. So
1: happened.
0: so so one other one other follow up maybe not one more but just another follow up you know i i would say to some extent this was a push right you guys had a set of capabilities and you said hey we got we're going to go look for an application you didn't you you didn't start with the question of how can we get blood to remote places in rwanda did you or or did you i mean in other words if if the solution had been um i don't know train wolves to run roots with packs on their backs. That wouldn't have been a solution you would have thought of. You were really thinking about how do we take drone technology and find an application that will do good in the world. So to that extent, it was really sort of a technology push. Did I did I read that right or not?
1: I'm sure to a certain extent. I wouldn't say it was a little more broad than that. It wasn't that we okay. were thinking about drone technology, but you know, obviously, you know, we're a bunch of geeks who know how to take technology and, you know, make products yeah, around yeah. using that technology. And so th- there was no question that when we looked at this, it was like, okay, you know, can we use what we know uh, to really solve it? Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and when we were looking at this particular application, you know, definitely we were thinking about you know, flying over the roads for sure. Yeah.
0: And, I mean, I, I, I will say, just editorializing a bit, that pushes – are quite perilous. There's a lot of carcasses of companies that have tried to do a push, but it can it's the way it's the way major change actually happens, technological change as people try it. I mean it's the way we got flight in the first place and telephony and many other things. So it can work. Uh, so this is a great example of where a push really, really worked. So I love that. But but tell us a little bit about it's it's easy to imagine this is just the perfect situation where you've got very tough terrain and you need immediate delivery of something in about the size of a shoebox. This is not uh, Amazon delivering, uh, you know, toothpaste to my apartment building, right? So I guess the question by drone. So I guess the question is, how narrow is this application, and how broadly did you, how how carefully did you look at that question of how how big this can be? Sure, I think that's.
1: Well, I mean. It is both narrow but broad. That's how we look at it. And what I mean by that is that, that, as a as a startup, right, you're kind of like wondering where success, where you get to certain success points, just in this market. I don't just mean blood, but the essential medical product delivery market. Basically, where the paved roads end in developing world countries. If we need to, if we can scale to five percent of that in the next ten years, we are a wildly successful company. Wow, um, it's a big market and. And it's also, you know, and, and of course, you know, on-demand delivery is a much bigger market than than just uh, medical products in these countries, uh, as you alluded to. But at the end of the day, like, you got to start with the values. Um, and, you know, toothbrushes to your house, not much value um, right. in every sense of the word. Um, and so, you know, getting the regulatory approvals, obviously developing the systems, uh integrating with the supply chains, you know, if you don't if you're not offering a lot of value, it's hard to sell that stuff. Uh it's mm-hmm. hard because people have to take a risk on you, especially you know, in the early days like we are.
0: Yeah, it's 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 one of these examples where on the face of it You'd be quite skeptical that it was a big market, but it really once you drill in the numbers, you say, "Wow, it can be." And and so it's it's a nice example that way. Um, I I wonder if you could talk a little bit about financing this business. I, I see that you've raised, and it will be very interesting to our listeners to 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 learn that if Crunchbase is right, you raised over 40 million in venture capital. So this is not a this is not a lightly funded business this is a fund, and these are people like Sequoia and Andreas and Horowitz. so Jerry Yang, very prominent investors. Talk a little bit about the fundraising process and how hard to sell this was.
1: Well like every, like all startups, it's changed over time. you know the, um, we, we do things a little differently than we know of any other people focused on, uh, on drone delivery or just drone systems in general were, we're very customer centric our whole engineering and development and business team we're all in the middle of a giant cattle ranch where we do all of our testing and we literally fly here more than we fly in Rwanda which is you know we've done probably I should check but it's very close to 10,000 flights here Wow um, And you know we've been doing that aggressively over the last few years as we've been developing various generations of our system. And, you know, at, now we're at a point where that stands out, right? We've, we've built up the infrastructure for automated regression testing of hardware and things like that that, that really enable us to move faster and faster and faster. Um, and so now we stand out. Obviously, we didn't at the beginning. That was that was obviously a harder a harder sell. Uh, now we stand out, and it's becoming obvious to investors that automation of logistics and on-demand uh, delivery um, is the future, Uh and, you know, they're looking for the right, you know, people of the right path to that future. Uh, and, you know, being the only national scale, I should say, the only drone delivery system operating in the world. I mean, by that is is like everything else has been done has been sort of demos, try it for a little bit, turn it off. But we're, you know, and we're doing it at a national scale, you know, all day, every day, all weather. That's at this point, you know, we're excited for some competition, but there's not much.
0: Yeah, it's a very exciting story. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on business radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and I'm speaking with Kenan Weirabach, who's the co-founder and chief technology officer of Zipline, and the URL is flyzipline.com. Uh, Kenan, I wonder if you can talk just a little bit about the business model. So you are operating... Uh, this system and there's significant capital expense and then there's operating expense. So how do you think about the business model and, 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 and how has that evolved and what
1: is the current business model? Sure. So we provide sort of two functions. If you really simplify it down uh, a fulfillment service and a courier service. Um, And, you know, we sell it in that way uh, sort of like an old school cell phone contract where, you know, we go in and there's a monthly recurring that covers the nut of the operation. Uh, obviously, the team that runs and, and maintains the distribution center, as well as a certain sort of a minimum number of deliveries, um, and then you know they can go above and beyond. The customer can ask for above and beyond those number of deliveries uh, in a given month. So it's a recurring revenue thing, um, and uh, yeah, and then so it, in some ways it's quite simple. Uh, which, by the way, is part of the reason I think we're able to sell it as, as effectively yeah. as we are is. That's that's the problem they want solved. Uh, our customers um, is that sort of magical courier service.
0: Yeah, and and then, but as you said, your customer is is a government. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, now Rwanda is you know somewhat of an economic miracle after what they went through, uh, in, in terms of civil war and and has a pretty lean operation with a charismatic and and visionary president. But what do the next few customers look like, and what is that sales cycle like?
1: Great question. Um, so our next customer is Tanzania. Um, we're, we'll be, we'll be starting our operation there, uh, early next year. Uh, and the, the, the initial scope of the operation is four distribution centers. Tanzania is a much bigger country, so four won't cover the country. That'll just be mm-hmm. the sort of first step. Um, yeah, we've, I mean, we've got a, we've got a great pipeline going. We have a lot of, uh, you have governments in Central America, uh, of course, more, many more in Africa, Southeast Asia, who all uh, want this problem solved. Um, and yeah. so, right now, as a, as, a, as a company, we're in that fun transition of saying, "Okay, we've we've demonstrated uh, this with our first customer. Uh, what do we have to do to get ready to scale? Um, and and what does is, what is scaling look like?" So that's that's what, that's that's what I spend my 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 time on these days, mm-hmm. is really getting us ready for that, getting our product and. System ready for that manufacturing and so on, all lined up. So I, I'm a
0: uh, I am I did my PhD in engineering in a in a robotics group. I actually didn't do robotics, but I was in a robotics group. And I noticed that that you had spent time in, at Stanford doing a uh, in pursuit of a robotics PhD, and I wonder if you've been able to resist the temptation to develop cool technology as opposed to using great solutions that are available on the shelf. And I wondered if you could talk through your sourcing decisions and design decisions around the vehicles themselves and whether you can rely on things that are happening elsewhere whether you you really have to engineer those things yourself.
1: That's a great question. I mean, for us, it's all about uh, reliability, right? We're flying, when you picture what we're flying over, don't picture, you know, uh, a game reserve with no people. These are highly population dense areas. A typical hospital we deliver to serves a population of half a million people around. It. Wow. Um, and so reliability, you know, and we're literally delivering into, well, what would will be described as a small city. Um, you know, pretty pretty you know, 100,000, 200,000 plus uh, populations um, uh, living there locally. So reliability and safety is, is sort of the whole ball game, uh, not just because we never hurt somebody on the ground, But also, you know, when we're delivering blood, especially in response to a patient who's on the table, you got to get blood there. There's no, there's. It's just, uh, it's uh, anyway, it's an ethical responsibility we take very seriously, and uh, so that's really what it comes down to. So any technology we were able to either test or get the data on to say, hey, this off-the-shelf technology uh, will get us to that reliability goal, we use it. Uh, And then if we can't get that off the shelf. Um, well, then we figure out how to how, how to how to make how to achieve it uh, in the simplest possible way. But we're part of the fun of our culture is we're very uh, customer focused and very practical. Uh, and literally from the beginning of this project, we have governments who were like, "Can you deliver tomorrow? Can you deliver tomorrow?" Uh, and, and and not in an abstract sense, in a very concrete sense, right. like, "Hey, this hospital has patients, you know, dying. Can you get this done?" And so. Anyway, there's, I think there's nothing like that, to, that. That that thing you were you were alluding to in your question of like, you right. know, do are we tempted to do things we don't need to do? That kind of just gets washed away for yeah uh, because of that really practical kind of driver.
0: Yeah, great answer. Hey, I want to ask a little more abstract question. You know, we saw in Africa this very interesting phenomenon of of leapfrogging, by which be, when cell phones, when mobile telephony came online, uh, you know, uh, essentially. Africa skipped the landline and went directly to mobile telephony. Are is what? What are your thoughts on leapfrogging? And, and this is this likely to be another instance of leapfrogging of infrastructure in uh, that's led by Africa?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the even in the earliest days of working with our first government partners, people in, on the government side in these rooms were like, "Oh, yeah." I was in the room, you know, 15 years ago when we were drawing maps with circles on them to, to you know cover the whole country with telephony, where before you know we were fighting door by door. Right. Um, and so it's it, there's a there's a huge parallel. Uh, get and even today I mean, one of the things that I really just love about this kind of thing. When you start a project like this and you come from a background like I do in robotics and product stuff, you're kind of terrified of like, oh man, is the community going to accept this? Are people going right. to freak out? Is this just going to be, and uh, and it's been so much the opposite. I mean, literally, when I go recently, when I've been to hospitals that receive these deliveries, they, it's like nothing's happening. They're like, oh yeah, it's just how we get our blood. What's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's just amazing how fast people adapt to this kind of thing. And we've literally had people. We don't. We have. We haven't figured out how to take them up on the field. Um But we've had people come up to. Uh, our distribution center with a package and say, "Hey, can you send this for me?"
0: Oh, um, that's hilarious! So, hey, Kenan, yeah, we're think- we're, uh, we're we're out of time, but that's a that's a great answer, and this is an amazing story. It's so thrilling to talk to you. So, thanks so much for making the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Carl. Great, great talking with
0: you. All right, yeah, you can check them out. Fly zip line. Dot com. That just about does it for today's show. If you had a question or a suggestion, send us a note. We're at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. To follow me, you can go to my website, ktulrich.com. That's k t u l. R-I-C-H or you can follow me on Twitter at KT Ulrich. I'd like to thank today's guests, Tammy Sun, co-founder and CEO of Carrot, Mary Biggins, CEO and co-founder of MealPal, Kabir Chopra, co-founder of Burrow, and once again, Kenan Weirobach, who is the co-founder and CTO at Zipline. Thanks also to producer Dana Cash, assistant producer Charlene Gatto, engineer Danielle Bruno, and Nellie Gaynor, associate director at the Wharton School. And thank you, For joining us for today's show, I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm vice dean of entrepreneurship and innovation at Wharton, and you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.